Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Something about that guy's voice. I just trust him. I just trust that voice. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you, Dick Warren's voice. And um, that's me. My name is Christopher McCollum, Master Certified Coach, each and every week bringing you uh, interviews, conversations with people who are doing something interesting in coaching, pioneers in coaching, leaders in coaching, and people who are just plain, uh, just plain wacky. Uh, this is no exception. We've got an in-studio guest co-host today as well as our guest on the line. Uh, let's look around and see what there is to do. Um, this will be the voice of Alex Terranova. Say hello, Alex. <laughs> How you doing? No, you have to say hello, hello Alex. Hello, Alex Terranova. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's great to have you in here. I started to <coughs> talk to you, and then I realized, forgive me, that I needed to introduce you. So I'm going to go cough. You introduce yourself, and then we'll meet back here in a minute. Should I stay in the third person? <laughs> Alex Terranova. <laughs> Uh, I'm a Dream Mason, a uh, performance and mindfulness coach. I host the Dream Mason podcast. And in my coaching practice, I help strong and successful men boldly declare what they want, get real about what's in the way, and create the strategy and steps for clarity, freedom, and success in their life. Together, we get things done faster, raise the bar on their goals, improve relationships, and get crystal clear on what you want. Now, you and I, we bring a little slightly different viewpoint. The same viewpoint, perhaps, because of the male, uh, cisgendered male thing. Um, and I don't see color. Are you white? <laughs> I'm, I'm a tan, but yes, I'm white. <laughs> All right. And uh, how many years have you been a coach? Because I've been a coach for like 27 years. How many coaches? A fraction of yours. This is my fourth full year as a full-time coach. Okay, so you represent the younger generation. You're, you're the voice of your... Thanks, generation. Your yeah, lost youth. I'll, I'll take the younger. I appreciate that. I like <laughs> okay, that. As, right. I, as I near 40, I'm getting concerned with uh, am I still younger or not? I'm having, you know. But when I sit here with you, I feel great. Here's the thing that I'll tell you. Can I just tell you what happens? Please. There's a time in your life where you are available, attractive, and of interest <laughs> to, like, lots of people. And as you age, as I have aged, uh, that window has closed. And you are of interest and interesting and attractive and even noticed by fewer and fewer people until I assume one day I'm just going to wake up and be completely invisible. And that's why people buy Teslas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hence, the, hence the sports car in midlife. That's correct. Um, I, feel like, I feel like that was a little too pointed. <laughs> I feel like that I need a trigger warning. I'm kidding. Uh, how, do, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to say where it is, but uh, Instagram first, Inspirational Alex, or if you're more traditional, thedreammason.com. And I am more traditional. I really have to get on the Instagram. Okay, uh, here's what I want you to know, and this is why I was going to talk to you. Was um, So there are conferences. This year is the ICF Converge, the global conference, and it's going to be in Prague, Czechoslovakia in October. Uh, I think you should go. I think every coach should go. I think that it'll be great. And if nothing else, you'll see Prague for the first time. Really? Siri thinks that I'm talking to her? Siri um, wa apparently agrees. <laughs> Wanted <laughs> you to repeat it. I'm a, uh, I'm a pretty agreeable guy. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, got that? Yes. And then there's the all the usuals. You have to go to Conversation Among Masters if you're a master. Conversation singular among masters, plural.com. You want to check out. If you're into coach training, you want to check out the Association of Coach Training Organizations, ACTO, by going to actoonline.org. Their conference is in June in this year in British Columbia with an emphasis on uh, unconscious bias and diversity and inclusion, really important topics for coaches. 
And then, uh, of course, you got to get your PCC marker training, so check out the ICF for that. The website is coachfederation.org. Anything else? Later in the year, the Capital Coaches Conference, your local co- ICF chapter or other coaching uh, conglomeration. Anything else that people need to know? I don't have anything else except that everybody needs to know what coaching is. So if you have a coach, if you are a coach, you should be telling everyone. Because what I find is not enough people know what coaching is. You're, you're kind of a laid-back guy. I, I am kind of a laid-back guy. <laughs> Right to the point. I like that. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, you've got some experience with uh, podcasts, and frankly, my listeners are probably pretty sick of my own voice. How about if you uh, introduce our guest? Sure. I can do that. Are you, are you prepared? Do you feel like you're... Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, Tara Jane Frank is a leadership development expert. That would be Tara J. Frank. Tara J. You, <laughs> so th- you're not, this is not, you're not good at this. There's something I found that you're not sure. <laughs> Do you want to go again? <laughs> Tara J. Frank. Apologies. Tara J. Frank is a leadership <laughs> development expert, president and CEO of TJF Career Modeling, LLC. As a sought-after consultant, speaker, and leadership experience designer. That's pretty cool. Tara, <laughs> Tara J. Frank helps leaders and organizations define a vision and develop strategies to advance their culture and leadership goals. In 2015, she published her first book titled Say Yes, A Woman's Guide to Advancing Her Professional Purpose, a practical tool to help emerging leaders reach their own professional high grounds. All right. Welcome to our microphones for the very first time. Hello. Uh, Tara, look around outside. First of all, is it Tara or Tara? Very good question. I was going to say hello, friends. It's Tara J. Frank. All right. I messed up twice. Yeah. Oh, for two. Uh, I got one more strike. Keeping score over here. Uh, <laughs> look around outside, Tara, and tell us where you are in the world today. I am in Dallas, Texas this morning. Beautiful. This is a place that you live. Um, you are not the traditional person that we might turn to for leadership development. Please tell us where you spent most of your corporate career and what you were doing there. Well, good question. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's Thanks. nice to meet both of you. Thanks um, for being here. Yeah, a couple so of I, dudes I interviewing a woman on, on women's leadership. This should go very well. This <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> We've already committed all this. I spent 21 years uh, at Hallmark Cards, actually, mm-hmm. and, and started my career as a greeting card writer, which I'm sure not many people you speak to can say. Um, but yeah, I grew, grew up at Hallmark and focused a, a lot in creative product development. Uh, I then led business innovation. Um, also, toward the latter part of my career, stood up a, a multicultural center of excellence, which was really an embedment organization, you know, focused on helping Hallmark uh, speak to and be relevant to a more diverse uh, world. And ultimately, my last role at Hallmark was as corporate culture advisor uh, for the president. So, tw- 21-year span, lots of interesting work to do, but. No, not a traditional coach, if you will, um, more so a, a business leader who just had a really deep passion for talent development. This leads me to a thousand questions, and Alex, you're just going to have to fight your way in here because I'm not, I don't <laughs> partner well, I don't work well with others. It's, it's on all my <laughs> reviews. The, uh, the, let's go back a, a step because you said s- many interesting things. The, I guess my first question that everybody's going to want to know, what's the, your favorite greeting card you ever wrote? Oh my goodness, um, that is an interesting question. I, of my 21 career, year career, I was a greeting card writer for two of them, 
And I will say, this is the part of that career that people are usually most interested right? in. Right? Something we um, can all access. So, yeah, yeah I, I wrote a card that was actually a troubled love card. Uh, and that's the one I got the most letters about and the most questions about. And I find it especially interesting now in my 40s because I wrote it at like 21 years of age. And I'm thinking, what the heck did I know about it then? Uh, but okay. yeah, that, that would probably be the favorite card I ever wrote. Nice. Now, are are you in a relationship? Are you, do you have a sweetheart, a special someone? I am married, yes. I have a wonderful husband who I call Captain America. Aww. Uh, <laughs> my, my partner in, in life, love, and, and all good things. Now, this is good because people, uh, Jerry Seinfeld says something like, people who are in partnerships or partnered, they're like having a great time. People who are married, we're like in at war. So um, I'm married. I'm married and partnered. Oh, nice. What's the uh, now? Have there been times in your marriage that you feel like you would have liked to have had this troubled love card, or you had to create another one? <laughs> well, the the honest answer to that is no, because this is oh. my second marriage. If you had asked me about the first, we'd be having a different conversation. But uh, for this one, so far so good. We've been at this for several years now, and. 99% in a good place all the time. Well, congratulations. Is there, a, is there like a, some NASA study about, you know, how many Hallmark cards to give someone to have a relationship work? <laughs> no, but maybe there should be. <laughs> Indeed. Um, let's talk, uh, something else that caught my ear was your, you actually did the thing that so many of us say we're going to do, start out to do, and then somehow never do, which is work on a corporate culture from inside, actually make positive change from inside an organization. Uh, yep. Will you give us some words of what you think are the most important pieces of that or how should people who are within the sound of our voice now working inside of organizations work to bring about change? Yeah, that's a, a wonderful question and a really important one. Um, you know, I had been in that particular organization for many years already, as I mentioned, and so that means I had a very deep understanding of how it operated, right? What the uh, what the spoken kind of norms were, and also what the unspoken norms were. Uh, and I'll say, first of all, a critical component of making change from the inside out is to ensure that the people at the very top of the organization are committed to whatever change they say they want to make. Um, and once you kind of clearly understand whether that commitment exists, it's then a matter of helping them understand that good intentions are not enough. Um, we had lots of conversation about the fact that, you know, all the leaders are good people, all the leaders want to do the right thing, um, but simply kind of sitting back and saying, we all want to do the right thing and we all care about the right things is certainly not enough to instigate um, any kind of change. So then it becomes a matter of, okay, well, who do we want to be um, and how do we need to behave in order to get there? And lastly, how will we hold people accountable, right, for crossing the bridge between who we, who we actually are right now and who we say we want to be? There's a lot of work that has to happen between those two points. Um, so, yeah, commitment is first, but then it's it's becomes, all right, well, what do we need to do, right, between now and then in, in order to make that a reality? Without that commitment, you don't get anywhere. So you said when you were – that, you know, all people are all people are good people and you all kind of have the same – you're all going to the same place. But when you see different routes to get there, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you use leadership to get everyone on the same page? Because if – if we all see the same destination, but I say go left to get there and you say go right, it kind of is disjointed and doesn't work. 
How did you bring people together to take the same path? We really started at the top, honestly. Uh, and you have to because those are the people who establish the norms, right? Those are the folks who say, you know, this is how we're going to move forward. Um, and these are the strategies or the tactics that we're going to commit to. So you have to start with the people who create the norms, the people who um, really kind of perpetuate, you know, those norms and get them to come together in a room and say, what does great look like? And we did that work and it was really important work. And to your point, you know, people interpret great differently, which is why you have to bring them together and kind of reconcile those things. So we came together and we identified, you know, the strategic pillars. We uh, clarified, you know, kind of key priorities. Um, and then it was a matter of cascading that information throughout the organization. The accountability comes in because without the accountability to your chosen, you know, strategies or tactics, that that's exactly what you have, what you describe. You have a whole lot of people deciding that they're going to get there in their own way. Um, and without holding anyone accountable or asking the right questions or having monitoring systems, people just kind of go, go rogue and you have folks at the top saying, well, I trust that they're going to get there in, in the right way. Meanwhile, you have folks toward the bottom of the organization or deep in the organization looking around like, what the heck is going on? Um, you know, and, and why are we doing this? I've noticed... <clears throat> Sorry, it's Christopher here, and you can tell by my scratchy throat today. Um, I like the part, though, you said, okay, who are we going to be? How are we going to get there? And how are we going to hold people accountable? This sort of triggers something for me. One of, the, uh, one of the most challenging books I've read recently is ethic, uh, Ethical Standards in the Helping Professions, or something like that. I'll get the right title by the end of the show. And, um, and in it, it talks about how the major work for people who are holding others accountable to any ethical standard values or principles, including, I think, organizational purpose, are to correct their course and to educate in that correction, not to punish or uh, penalize people. Is, right. that, is that something you found, or do you have a different view? I totally agree with that, and I'm so glad you brought that up, because the, the issue or the question of accountability is where a lot of people in culture work shut down, right? You say hold people accountable and they immediately think about, you know, these, these targets and these measures. And if you don't do this in this period of time, you're going to get in trouble and we're going to take money from your pocket. And don't get me wrong, you know, some companies have absolutely decided you know, <laughs> to go that particular route. But it also has risks associated with it because you can have leaders kind of shut down on you, right? Anytime you use the word mandate, uh, especially as it relates to diversity and inclusion, which is where I do a lot of work, you can have people shut down, people opt out. Even if they're saying that they're on the boat with you, they're actually mentally and emotionally not. And so what I share with companies who are trying to change culture is, you know, there are a lot of ways to hold people accountable. You can reward right, the behavior you're looking for versus always focusing on penalizing the behavior you're not. And I think both are important, quite frankly. Um, you know, some companies right now have found themselves in really hot water because people are perpetuating, you know, outright discriminatory practices and they're not catching it, you know, at the root. They're not stopping it right away. They're not being overt 
um, and deliberate about making sure that the entire company knows what's acceptable and what is not acceptable. So all of that matters, doing it in a timely way, in, a, in an honest way, um, and in a very clear way is critical. But if you're trying to get into culture change for the long run, you can reward the right behaviors, right? You, you can talk about the folks who are doing it well. You can shine a light on what's working. You can celebrate, right, in whatever way is culturally appropriate for you, um, the good decisions, the actions that are getting you closer to what you want. And I think more companies need to do that more proactively. They tend not to because sometimes they make these decisions in private. They like to keep them private. Um, and they don't necessarily like to call attention to some of these major culture shifts uh, that happen, honestly, one good choice at a time. But it's, but it's important you know, to celebrate it and to shine a light on it so that other folks know what's not, what's not only acceptable, but what's actually preferable. What do you find is the biggest, what do you find is the biggest challenge today in corporate leadership? Oh, wow. Um, that's a good question. Relative to what? Or just big picture, biggest challenge in corporate leadership? I think, I mean, in the way, in the way that it shows up for you, because, you know, we could look at the government as a corporation, we could look at small companies as little corporations, but for you, when you walk in and you are uh, addressing leadership and change, what's the biggest challenge? Well, I think culture is actually the biggest challenge, but I'll say it through this particular lens. Um, I think we have an integrity issue. So... CEOs, right, will say that one of the things that keeps them up at night is is talent. You know, whether they're able to bring in the right kind of talent, whether they're able to retain the right kind of talent. And one of the major challenges right now for companies relative to talent is an issue of integrity, meaning we we say that we're this kind of company, but we actually don't behave that way, right? So there's kind of a chasm um, between who we claim we are and who we actually are. And, and what I share with companies and clients that I advise is culture lives on three distinct levels, right? You have the claim level, then you have the policy level, and then you have the norm level. The claim says, right, if I ask anyone in your company, you know, does your company value diversity and inclusion as an example, um, and let's say we're talking about gender equality, you know, that employee may say, well, that's in our beliefs and values, you know, it's on the wall. So yes, our company values diversity and inclusion. I may ask you that same question through a policy lens and that employee may say, well, yes, we have flex, you know, work benefits or we have partner benefits. And so yes, my company values diversity and inclusion. If I ask them, however, a question that's really pointed at the norm, if I say, do you believe you have an equal opportunity to rise to the very top of this organization? Or do you believe that your distinct voice is valued and visible? If I ask questions like that, people often have very, very different answers. And so at the end of the day, companies say, you know, this is who I am but their employees who are essentially their customers, right? That, that's their consumer these days. Only your, your employee can tell you who you actually are. You can claim whatever you want, but only your employees can tell you who you actually are. And you know, more often than not, they're saying my company is not who they say they are. That is a major challenge because reputation is everything these days when it comes to kind of attracting the best talent and keeping them there. So you, a lot of this comes from top down, which is you've you've said this numerous times. 
Mm-hmm. How do we, so much of what I'm hearing is not what, like I, I'm just hearing in, we have integrity breakdowns or leaks as a country. So yeah. how do we, if top down, cause that's kind of where it starts, right? If our leaders, our government officials are top. So how do we, as individuals, as companies, as coaches, break this up from the inside if the top isn't on board, which sometimes it doesn't seem like it is. Right. Or worse, says they are and are not. In practice, yes. Right? Yes. So, you know, that's a great question. And, and I would say accountability goes two ways, right? So people ask me that all the time. All right. Well, how do we help our leadership see things differently, right? Um, and and behave differently. And, and I say, don't forget that when when your top leadership says, this is who I am, and puts a period on the end of that sentence or an exclamation point, and you see them behaving differently, that you as an individual, right, or as a team, as a division, you have a responsibility and a right <laughs> to call them out on it. Now, that sounds easy, and people say that's harder than it looks, but what I say is if they're telling you day in and day out, this is the kind of company we are, and you're in the trenches and you're seeing behaviors and choices being made and outcomes that are in complete misalignment with who your company says they want to be. You, you have to find a way to raise your hand and say, well, what about this? Right. And not in a not in a punitive way, but we say we want to be X. Meanwhile, right. These are the choices that are being made. These are the these are the decisions. These are the people who are being celebrated and the people who are not. How do we have this conversation about actually being who we say we want to be? And so I encourage people, you know, to kind of raise their voice and raise their hand and hold their leaders accountable for being who they say they want to be. Um, and so there there are a lot of ways to do that, obviously, but people in the trenches have to be willing. They, they have to be willing to take that personal risk um, to make that plain for people and and honestly, to illuminate that for leaders, because sometimes leaders at the top don't even realize that that they're kind of living in a lack of integrity. Right. From a culture standpoint, they sometimes can't actually see it. Um, another thing I encourage people to do is ask for more feedback at more levels of an organization. So one thing that happens is leaders at the top will say, this is who we are, and they'll put you know systems in place, and they're feeling really good about their leadership. Then you have people deep in the organization who are not experiencing that at all. Sometimes it's because you have that first executive layer who's going completely rogue, and nobody knows. You know why they don't know? It's because once, once leaders get to a certain level of leadership, Nobody asks for feedback on them anymore. The, the top of the house assumes that once you got this far, you must be a great leader. You, the three of us know that is not necessarily true. So putting more feedback mechanisms in place right, at various levels of the organization makes sure that you don't have terrible leaders hiding in plain sight. Yeah, we do. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, your first book uh, in 2015 was Say Yes, A Woman's Guide to Advancing Her Professional Purpose. Give us a, a one-minute blurb on what the driving force was behind that book and why people why it's still relevant today. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. I actually wrote the book because I was known for saying yes to any person who would ask me to mentor them ever. Mm-hmm. 
And it got to a point where I physically, right, from a capacity standpoint, could not say yes to one more person. Right. You people um, get off me now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then I felt terrible because I'm like, well, but I want to help. You know how that goes. So I wrote the book, honestly, as a proxy for myself, if that makes sense. You know, and I put in it everything that I would say you know, to an emerging leader who wanted to rise to a higher level of leadership, you know, which which is, that's why I call it a practical guide. You know, it starts by asking the individual to truly assess who they are, what they want, what they believe in, what their unique and differentiated skill sets are. Uh, and then it moves them to say, well, let's kind of visualize your ideal career experience. And then lastly says, well, let's let's build a bridge, right, from where you are to where you want to be by getting clear about the experience you need, the relationships you need, the skills you need, uh, and the behaviors that you need to, uh, you know, to, to kind of demonstrate. So it's a very practical guide for people. The real, real world stuff. This isn't models yeah. of the human brain or human behavior or anything like that. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you... I want to I want to just tease people because we're about to take a break. But will you tease us with more than your hashtag more than a movement? Yes, more than a movement is is I call it a, a healing movement uh, for deeper connection between disconnected people. Too much division in the world today and we can't afford it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now we're teased. If you want to <laughs> learn more about Tara J. Frank's work or uh the, the book, the um, More Than a Movement, go immediately and forever to Tara J. Frank. That's spelled T-A-R-A-J-A-Y-E, Frank, F-R-A-N-K.com. That's tarajfrank.com. Of course, we'll have our uh, links on our uh, description of the podcast today. Also, check out morethanamovement.com. That's morethanamovement.com. You can also check out Instagram, uh, Tara J. Frank, same spelling, T-A-R-A-J-A-Y-E-F-R-A-N-K. I can't talk, but it's spelled the same. Or at more than move. Uh, Alex, you're at thedreammason.com or Instagram inspirational Alex. In a couple minutes, we'll be taking a break. When we come back, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about uh, the topic of building bridges and more than a movement and how we, who can be doing that, how to do it, and how the more than a movement process is actually uh, in action nice that's good if we've got time I'd love to also talk about entrepreneurship and sort of the the leadership lessons in entrepreneurship versus organizational you know more norms and mores and like that um, and uh, Tara anything you want to talk about when you come back anything you want to tease our people with I want to talk about those things that you guys want to talk about. Aww. Sounds good to me. Look at you just saying yes. Just we like, like when, we like when we're <laughs> Say right. Say yes, Tara. Say yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're listening to The Coaching Show right here on accomplishmentmedia.com. We want to shout out to our longtime sponsor of this program just for 17 years, you know, but I think they're really getting committed. Uh, Accomplishment Coaching. Um, you can find out more about Accomplishment Coaching by going to accomplishmentcoaching.com. It's home of the world's finest coach training program. 
if you're like me and Alex, well, God help you. But if you are, uh, you're interested in the world's finest coach training program, training at the highest level. If you're looking for the stamp of the Oxford, the, the, the highest peak of coach training, check out Accomplishment Coaching. More actual hours of training, more actual hours of live training, of being coached by a professional coach, by coaching actual human beings, and it's all in-person training. Check it out, accomplishmentcoaching.com. Alex, what are the cities that people can find Accomplishment Coaching in? Oh, wow, that's good. I know the answer to this. Yeah. Uh, San Diego, Chicago, New York, uh, Victoria, BC, nice. Seattle, mm -hmm. and am I missing one? Our nation's and capital, where DC. we need it the most. <laughs> Washington, DC. DC. Beautiful. Uh, the other thing that Accomplishment Coaching does is lets you come and observe. So... That music tells us it's time for a break, right? Uh, you could go and observe the coaches training program with no obligation, no anything. Just look behind the curtain and see what they're up to. So check it out, accomplishmentcoaching.com. We'll be back with more with Tara J. Frank and our in-studio guest co-host, Alex Terranova. You're listening to The Coaching Show right here on accomplishmentmedia.com or wherever fine podcasts are available. Back after this. We'll be right back after these important messages. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovations, the coaching show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Gotham Books presents Marriage Rules by Harriet Lerner. The book Martha Beck calls required reading for anyone hoping to interact successfully with any other human, not just for those in romantic relationships. Get your copy wherever books and ebooks are sold and visit harrietlearner.com to learn how to change your marriage today. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McCall, Master Certified Coach. That was <laughs> uh, professional podcasting. You gotta love it. Semi-pro. So what I was doing was I was out uh, getting the book. Earlier in this podcast, I referenced a book, and I didn't want to uh, let it go with my failing memory. The book was Ethical Maturity in the Helping Professions by Michael Carroll and Elizabeth Shaw. This is an oldie but a goodie, and if you're interested in ethics, if you're doing ethical work, or if you just want to sort of brush up, it makes a great case for ethics as um, educational and corrective 
uh, instruction as opposed to punishment and account uh, when you're holding people accountable to large values and purpose statements and things like that. Ethical maturity in the helping profession. All right, we're continuing in our conversation, an extraordinary conversation with an extraordinary leader, Tara J. Frank. You can find her on the web at Tara, T-A-R-A-J, J-A-Y-E, Frank, F-R-A-N-K dot com. Uh, you can also... Uh, Go find out more about the work she's doing by going to More Than A Movement, M-O-R-E-T-H-A-N-A-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com, morethanamovement.com. Also in studio today, we've got an in-studio guest co-host. Alex Terranova is a coach of how many years' experience? Four years. Four years of experience. He's got his own podcast called The Dream Mason Podcast. You can find out all about Alex and the work he does by going to www.thedreammason.com, the Dream mason.com let's start there what is a dream mason did you just make that up that's not a thing <laughs> so actually when i met you and i started learning about coaching uh i was really insecure about the term life coach i was like who am i this young immature unethical kid to be talking about to people about their life and uh out of insecurity i had this thought of hey we're all born with a dream and usually or often life stomps it out people stomp it out our parents our government and but i believe that there's a dream within all of us and if you actually want that dream to become a reality, it's going to take you actually building it or creating it. So I believe we're all dream masons. I am not the dream mason, but just one of many. However, you can be found at thedreammason.com. That's beautiful. Thanks for that. I love the idea of building, building your dream rather than waiting for it or, you know, some, someday my Hoping you'll show up and do it for me. That's right. <laughs> you're right. All of those things. All right. Tara is joining us from her palatial mansion, I assume, in uh, <laughs> Dallas, Texas. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about what Alex wants to talk about. Okay, go ahead, Alex. You are going to talk about building bridges. I think. Well, do we just teased more than a movement? Yeah. And so, but let's leave people hanging for like a second longer on that tease. Sure. Um, Professional. We, we talked about your book for a moment. I'm curious, who are the people that need to be reading your book like right now? Well, I actually wrote it for emerging leaders. When I say that, I mean, folks mostly, you know, in middle management who are aspiring to higher levels of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, I also wrote it for women, but I've certainly had men read it and say it was equally helpful for them. Um, that just happens to be my kind of central point of passion, you know, around my work. Uh, so, yeah, just people who are in middle management but really want to grow and find themselves maybe a little bit stuck. Let's give let's give everybody a tip. So from Say Yes, from what you've seen, from people who are emerging leaders inside an organization, if you could wave your magic wand and give them all one tip, what would it be? Write your own story. So what I mean by that um, is there are so many people in middle management right now who have their heads down, they're working really, really hard, they're hoping someone's just going to notice how hard they're working right. and then take their magic wand and pop them on the head with it, uh, and then they're going to rise into this amazing leadership position, and that is not how that works. So I would tell people you have to be really clear about what you want to experience at work, You know that next level position, that new division, working for that new leader, and once you get clear about what you want to experience, you have got to be able to tell people. Because if you don't articulate what you want to do, no one will know, and you will essentially become subject to someone else's desires for you, which is the worst possible scenario. 
I think the desires piece is a perfect piece to move back into uh, and away from the teasing. Right. So let's talk about more <laughs> than a movement. Oh, I like that that you're building your own bridge there. That there was you nice. go. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, you know, more more than which is sounds like it is it is a movement. How do we how do you even build a movement? You know, we, we see them popping up hashtags and things like that. But how, how do you do this? What's <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, let me say I'm figuring that out every single day. Um, the reason I called it a movement right out of the gate before I had even moved anything at all um, is because I know that's what it will require, you know, for us to commit to understanding each other beneath the surface, which is really what more than indicates, right? It says that, yes, we have a shared humanity, we have a lot in common, um, but stereotyping, you know, large groups of people is not helpful, uh, it's not helpful. It's actually painful for many of us. Folks have gotten hurt, you know, emotionally and physically um, behind kind of mass labeling of groups of people. And so I really just started to realize that, you know, each person is an individual. And if we can tell those individual stories, maybe over time, um, we can start to see people for the individuals they are, you know, versus kind of painting groups of people with a broad brush. I I love that, and I have to ask you, so let's just imagine for a moment that I'm an older white guy in a position of some leadership because... <laughs> okay, I, I'm imagining. <laughs> it's a stretch, I know, but <laughs> but it's really true. Do you know, I've, I'm fortunate, I've got a company, I've got extraordinary people that I work with, I've got opportunities, um, and I sit in meetings with guys just like me who make stupid, ridiculous, foolish errors that I can see all the time, which leads mm -hmm. me to wonder how many stupid, foolish errors I'm making that I'm not even seeing. And how do we address this? How can we, you know, uh, educate people without calling them out or, or creating a fight? Uh, mm -hmm. And how do we sort of assuage people's feelings. You know, I recently am leading a program where we've got somebody who's who doesn't identify as uh, gender binary. Mm -hmm. And so just the just the unlearning my grammatical correctness around pronouns is often yeah. a challenge in the moment, right? But let right. alone all the all the cultural errors I'm seeing, you know, dumb white guys uh, middle-aged in leadership like me making. Uh, what's what advice what help what magic pill do you have for <laughs> you know it oh my gosh the, this question is such a it's so expansive um so i'll try to come at it from a couple different angles and hope i don't confuse both myself and you uh, <laughs> with my answer i think the first thing i want to say is that you know to be biased is human and i think we all know that you know that several years ago we were all kind of celebrating malcolm gladwell's book blank right, right? Mm -hmm. you know the 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 beauty of leaning into your instincts, right? And the beauty of kind of leveraging your bias to make faster decisions, right? To do things more efficiently um, and to kind of maximize, you know, your effort. And we all know why bias and why our instincts can be good, but I think we, we didn't think hard enough about the flip side of that. So first, everybody's biased. Everybody c jumps to conclusions. We do that for lots of very good reasons, and our brain is kind of wired to do that. One of the ways that I, I try to advise people to flip it um, 
is to interrogate their reality. So how do you know, you know, how do you know that you know, right? We make assumptions, we'll, we'll label people, we'll say, well, these people are like that or these people don't wanna do that. And I always say in the moment, do we know that to be true? How do we know? What is our evidence that that's the case? And I find that once I start asking questions, more and more questions, people will start to become aware of their own biases. They'll become aware of the fact that they don't really have evidence, <laughs> that they don't actually know, right? But they're making assumptions. And so raising that consciousness often is a matter of being more curious, of asking more questions and having the courage to ask those questions in the moment. Does that make sense? It does. I was hoping for the magic pill, but I'll work on it. I also, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, I, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've dealt with this about a million times, but I'll be sitting in a meeting and some, pardon me, but usually it's a middle-aged, I, I don't see color or gender, but gen usually mm -hmm. it's a middle-aged white guy, will say something that's uh, on or over the line, right, in terms yeah. of sensitivity to some yeah. Okay. It's usually me, right? <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm teasing. But, um, but uh, you know, some we'll say something insensitive, and then there's like the uncomfortable silence or the uncomfortable laughter by one or two people. Like you just made a dumb mistake, but nobody mm -hmm. actually addresses it. Uh, most often in the meetings, especially if that person's in some position of power. power. And I mm -hmm. uh, forgive me for going on here, but I'm also aware of a bunch of organizations that are now at this stage of the game going out and looking for experts on diversity and inclusion, people with 10 mm -hmm. years of experience, come and give us some classes, right? Yeah. So you must mm -hmm. run into this all the time. What, uh, uh, take, take that in either direction or both, whatever you want to address there. Gosh, yeah. It's, oh, man, the, the landscape is broad. I think we can all probably uh, agree on that. You know, one of the things and why – why I feel like more than is important. One of the things I do with leadership teams who are you know, often majority white men in trying to kind of raise their collective consciousness about diversity and inclusion is I actually get ask them to get in touch with their own individuality. Identity is a very complicated thing, but the reality is each and every one of us has a social identity. And even if we're all white men, your social identity is not necessarily the same. Yeah, so Alex. you have, right, you have, multiple, you know, kind of levels, right, on which you live and, and, and exist. And so I try to get people in touch with that. Um, the best case scenario is to have these kinds of conversations in diverse rooms where you have not only white men, but you also have women and you have women of color and men of color and have them have conversations around their social identity and then kind of talk about, all right, well, which aspects of our social identity do we believe actually make life easier for us? and which aspects of our social identity make life more challenging for us, and why is that? Because if you can get people to tell their individual stories and start to see them as people, right, versus a social group, you, what you do is you raise your awareness of that individuality, and you say, okay, people are unique, they are different. Their differences not only matter because it's part of their identity, but their differences matter because it practically affects how they show up in the world and how they're treated and what they actually experience. And so you mentioned, you know, 
Chris, which I totally get, you know, I don't see color. I'll share with you one of the other things I do for, for majority populations is I help them understand the things that we say when we mean well and how they're actually received, right, by people who are different. So when folks say, I don't see color, what many people of color interpret that as is that I am invisible to you, mm. right? My color is a part of who I am. It's pretty darn easy to see, you know? <laughs> and so I don't mind that you see it. I actually feel that if you can see it, you might then understand a little bit more about my unique life experience. And if you cared to understand more about my unique life experience, right, you might become more sensitive to it. And if you can become more sensitive to it, then we can develop a meaningful connection based in truth, right? That's and based so on who we are and how we move through the world. So some of it is just about, about being courageous enough to want to know more about people. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, does that, does that kind of make sense when I, when I say that? I love all of it. I especially love looking at your own individual differences. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I, when I was listening to you and, and listening to Christopher's question, <clears throat> I'm hearing like you have to actually be open. If you are somebody, you know, this, this hypothetical or Christopher middle-aged white male <laughs> in a position of power, um, yep. you actually have to be open and not defensive and not ashamed or not gu feel guilty for the privilege that you have. Right. And, right. and what I notice is, you know, I'm, I'm a 37 year old white male. I'm, mm -hmm. I think when I, one of the things I've been encountering is actually playing with that going, Hey, I actually am grateful for it. And can that leave me open to seeing someone else's perspective? But everybody isn't like that. Everybody doesn't recognize that they do have privilege or yeah. are. So how do you, uh, approach or open people up to that when you when you are whether it be you know it doesn't have to be a middle-aged white male but anyone who is in a position of power and privilege and yeah. they have that like they can't see it the blinders are just on yeah so love this so I one of the one of the ex exercises I pull people through which usually I get a lot of laughs out of but then also tons of insight is something that I call the power core right so I'll go into a company and I'll say, okay, in, in most companies, whoever has the power, they exist in the power core. And then, you know, the people who are different from that kind of radiate outward. And what exists in the power core most of the time is white men, not always, but most of the time is white men. And then you go out a rung, it's white women, you go out a rung, it's men of color, you go out a rung, it's women of color. And so why that's important is the people in the power core have all of the insight and the information. And the further removed you are from the power core, the less insight you have, the less information you have, and ultimately the fewer opportunities you have. And so people in the center are, are have to have a responsibility to reach out and draw in because there is no bullet train from the outer rung into the center. We, we want there to be, and we try to create that, but the reality is it doesn't exist. And the example I share with them, which usually gets a lot of laughs, is I say, let's say, I say, I'm gonna tell you how this manifests practically. So let's say it's my company, I'm Tara, I'm a black woman, I am in the power core. 
and I have two people who are up for the same job. And one of them is a black woman like me, and one of them is a white man who is different from me, you know, on at least two dimensions, possibly more. And so my affinity bias is going to come into play because we all have affinity bias and many of us aren't conscious of it. So if I'm hiring for this really important job, I may know 50% of what the black woman is capable of through experience and results, et cetera. And I may know 50% of what the white man is capable of through experience and results, et cetera. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to project onto this black woman what I know about myself. I'm gonna look at her and relate to her and I'm gonna say things like, mm. I believe she has potential to do this. She has presence. I don't know what it is, she just has an it factor. I have confidence in her. I'm gonna say things like that, but what I'm actually saying is that I have confidence in me and she reminds me of me. What I'm gonna say about the white man is, you know, everything I know about him is really great and people say wonderful things, but I'm just not sure about his strategic agility. Let's give him an assignment and give him an opportunity to, to prove it. Or I'm gonna say, I'm not sure, you know, uh, uh, whether he has command and control skills. Let's go on and bring him to the executive leadership team meeting and see how he shows up. Or I'm gonna say things like, well, how does he lead transformation? I just haven't seen it. I wanna be able to see it. Let's give him you know, test assignment number four and give him a chance to prove it. I'm gonna wanna, I'm gonna want him to continue to prove himself until I feel 100% confident that he has what it takes to do this job. And by this time, he's frustrated. He feels like he has had to jump through more hoops than the black woman had to jump through, and he doesn't know why. And now I'm ready, right, to, to fill the job, and I'm saying, gosh, he jumped through every hoop, he did everything well, he did a great job, but he seems a little disengaged, or he seems to have an edge and a little bit right. of an attitude. Right, I don't, and I'm just, just don't not know what sure that is. that's the, yeah. the persona that I want in this really important job. So I take people through this whole thing, and they're nodding their heads, they're cracking up, they're hiding their face in their hands, because they recognize that this is practically how this bias manifests at work. Beautiful. And why it's important for us to be more conscious of it and to intervene at the points where we're putting people in positions of power, where we're promoting, where we're doing succession planning. So the practical tool I tell everybody is you have to intervene. This bias train rolls and it rolls fast. And unless we stop it on purpose and ask more questions, it will continue to run people over. I, I got to say first, I love listening to you talk. It's like very, it's like very mesmerizing. I'm like sitting here. I'm all, feel almost like hypnotized. Um, <laughs> but the question I have as I pull myself out of that is as coaches, what do you believe there is that what, as, what do coaches need to know or do moving forward? Well, I think coaches, when they're working with, leaders who have any type of privilege, I think it's important that, that coaches help folks understand that each of us has a role to play, right, in kind of leveling the playing field for women, for people of color, for anyone who does not represent the power core. Um, I think all leaders need to become, right, inclusion advocates. This is not something for 
you know, an office of three people off to the left, you know, to develop and run and fix. It, it'll, it'll never get better if that's the case. So if they're leaders, they need to understand that they have a role in creating the kind of cultures we say we want. Um, they need to understand kind of where they exist in the power core so that they can reach out and draw in on purpose. Uh, they need to understand that, you know, saying things like, uh, I don't really care about, you know, race or gender. I just want the best thing for the job. There are, there are, you know, kind of core challenges with that statement. And I'll share with you what the core challenge is. It sounds good. But the challenge is it ignores the fact that people are not born the best person for the job. Mm. People are made the best person for the job. And when we are not equally making people the best for the job, we're disenfranchising. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So people need to raise their awareness that leadership in the inclusion space or leadership in the culture space has to be a conscious effort. We cannot trust our intuition you know, our snap judgments, our blinks, if you will, to create the kind of culture we say we want. We have to do it consciously. We have to ask more questions. We have to be more curious. For people who are trying, right, to grow and to advance in cultures where they may not feel 100% at home, I say to those people, you got to be excellent. You have to know what you want. You have to know what you are, again, differently good at, not just what you're good at, but what you're uniquely good at and you've got to figure out how to tell that story in a compelling way to as many people who matter. Not everybody and their mama, but the people who matter. So that you can get in the driver's seat of your own career and start developing, again, the kinds of relationships you need, getting the experiences that are important, developing the skills, and starting to demonstrate those critical and focused behaviors. Uh. Uh, you speak so eloquently and so powerfully and so beautifully, as Alex has said. Please write more, write more, write more, write more. We need your <laughs> voice uh, in our in our ears every day. All right, that's Tara J. Frank. Uh, we're coming down to the last moment of our time together. Tara, and forgive me, I think I just mispronounced your name. Tara, would you grace us with a parting thought or a parting shot? If you wanted tens of thousands of coaches today to think about something or take something on, what would you have us do? Oh my goodness, I feel the pressure now. Um, <laughs> I would just say, be more curious, be more courageous, and cross the bridge. I want everyone to understand that crossing the bridge from who we are to who we want to be, or where we are to where we want to be, um, has to be a deliberate effort. And bridges don't pop up out of the ocean, they are made, they are constructed. And we've got to construct them more consciously. And more importantly, we have to construct them collaboratively. So work together, work across, you know, ask bigger, bolder questions um, and just step into it. You know, we've got to get there and we have to get there together. Beautiful. That is the voice of Tara J. Frank. You can find out more by going to her website, Tara, T-A-R-A-J-J-A-Y-E, Frank, F-R-A-N-K dot com, tarajfrank.com. Also check out morethanamovement.com, morethanamovement.com. You can find Tara J. also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Alex, same opportunity. Uh, is there a parting thought or a parting shot? It's been great to be with you, my friend. I think I just want to say, uh, Tara said something at the end that I wrote down, which I, I think was the most powerful thing for me, which is, and I think we can apply this to any of our life, that we're not born 
as you know great at something or born the best into person for the job. Right? Yeah, born as the best person for the job. But but it applies to everything. We're not born in the best position or the best at loving or the best at relationships. It's that we actually have to create it and we have to build it. Beautiful. Thank you. That is the dulcet tones of Alex Terranova. You can find him at thedreammason.com or go to Instagram. I understand it's very popular. Inspirational Alex. <laughs> All right. I thank you both for an extraordinary day here and an extraordinary conversation. Tara Jay, we must have you back to talk more about um, more than a movement and more about building bridges and especially that bridge to entrepreneurship from the organizational. Uh, yeah. I uh, would love that. Thank you so through. much for having me and great to meet both of you. Oh, for it's sure. been our privilege. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that's another edition of the coaching show behind us. We'll uh, talk to you each and every week. We bring you conversations with people who are out on the cutting edge doing something interesting, wacky, or uh, pioneering in the coaching world. And, of course, you can find all of our, I think, 16 years of past and archive things are searchable at accomplishmentmedia.com or wherever fine podcasts are available. And the Dream Mason podcast, where do we find that, mister? You can find the Dream Mason podcast everywhere, but you can find <laughs> it on Accomplishment Media, find it on iTunes, find it on Stitcher, Stitcher and Spotify and Google Play, <laughs> All right. and also on YouTube. Nice. All right. We'll look forward to having you back. And thank you, dear listener, for uh, these 17 years of, uh, of bringing you interesting stuff would not be possible without you. We will talk to you next week. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. That's all for today's edition. We will talk to you next week.